Hello and welcome to the Edition Podcast with me, Charlotte Henry. We've got a big week this week. I am joined by Brian Morrissey, formerly uh, the Editor-in-Chief and the President at Digiday, who's now made the jump to Substack and is running the rebooting now, which I really love. How, how are you, Brian? Thank you for joining me. I'm doing well. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, I'm really happy to be on the podcast. I, I'd just like to point out that I'm sitting in freezing London and Brian is sitting in a t-shirt yeah. with the Florida sun behind me and I'm absolutely <laughs> furious. Paint a picture, paint a picture. Uh, yeah. I've been living in Miami for the last 18 months and I'm about to move to, to New York. I'm not supposed to say back to New York, but I'm moving basically back to New York. I was going to say, are you allowed to live in Miami doing American media? Anyway, that's a, I think that's a whole different conversation. But what I want to really talk to you about is... Yeah sports and more specifically sports betting um and you and other american kind of sports fans and media people that i follow on twitter have brought it to my attention that there's been a rather dramatic change in the ecosystem over in the states and that you're now allowed sports betting now for us here in the uk this is a bizarre thing because <laughs> our sports coverage is totally dominated by betting adverts are most of the Premier League football teams are spot, are sponsored by betting companies in some form or the other. Um, as I say, pretty much every commercial radio or television broadcast will feature extensive betting adverts. Um, so the, I, I kind of find it funny watching yeah. Americans watching sport we're, for the first time with betting adverts going, oh my goodness, what is this? So I know. It, we're like, we're catching up to you guys. Like, you know, I feel like we've had, we have like so many vices like on our hands and stuff like this that we didn't get around to gambling. Um, but no, it's, it's a peculiarly American Mitch mix of both Puritanism uh, with uh, just naked corporate interests you know because gambling <laughs> gambling was always relegated to just a couple places like las vegas or then it got when i was a kid it moved to atlantic city um and then you know uh native americans were figured out that they could actually open up casinos so there are a lot of interests like to keeping gambling um you know in these places because they would basically you know uh, give a lot of money to politicians. And then on top of that, you know, there was, there was always, you know, kind of whatever religious interests in different places that, mm. you know, said that it was a vice, but it was mostly just like, you know, corporations just trying to monopolize markets. Monopolize, but and but I think this, it's unique. It's unique yeah. because it's like, you know, this is a massive market, obviously it's a massive country. Um, and it's very unusual when you have a big market that just opens up seem almost like overnight. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cannabis is sort of a, um, which is a very American rebranding of pot, um, is, is, which is bizarre. I'm like, wait, we always just got a pot and now all of a sudden it's cannabis because it's legal. Um, it is, but that's state by state, but that's another sort of gold rush. I thought, I thought, um, betting was being open state by state or is this, is sports betting slightly different? It's it, it's slightly different, and and it is it is it is going state by state too. That's true. Um, it's just going a little bit like faster than than cannabis. Um, right. And honestly, it's a bigger. Ironically. Yeah, it's a bigger market. Um, than than cannabis, I be believe it's going to yeah. be. Um, and 
So are we at the stage yet? I assume not. I'm not going to turn on the New York Yankees game in a you know over the weekend and see a betting company emblazoned across their kit or something, am I? Um, I don't know if you will with the Yankees, but like uh, the, the I don't believe baseball yet has uh, has has logos on their jerseys. But you know, you see it all through the NBA. You know, uh, Crypto.com is on yeah. so many jerseys, but then so um, you know, I think for 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 betting companies, it's it's more difficult because the leagues um, have historically been very sensitive about gambling. There have been famous scandals in American sports history of you know of of players throwing games. There was the the infamous Black Sox scandal in like the nineteen. 19- 20s or 10s or something like this. Um, so I think, you know, the, the leagues themselves are in a bit of a bind because, you know, this they're, they're all about money, but at the same time, they have to protect um, at least the appearance of integrity of the game. So, right. you know, it opens up a lot of opportunities. I think the big thing is like all of these betting companies are looking to onboard co- millions of customers almost like at once. And so that's led to this gold rush and sp- Sports media has benefited tremendously here. Yeah, and that's really... uh, Thank you for laying out the background because it's fascinating, as I say, particularly from someone this side of the Atlantic who is just completely... You know, I can watch an ad break in a Premier League match and every advert basically will be a betting company. Um, And I'm I'm really not exaggerating. Um, But to suddenly see it, hear it kind of launch a new... in such a massive sports media market is yeah. really intriguing and the background is interesting but what into kind of pure business terms has the effect been on sports media like how a comp you know the the broadcast is dealing with this yeah um so i mean the broadcasters is like one side but i think like what's what's you know so obviously there's a lot of advertising that these sports books are doing in order to get um customers what i think is really interesting is that you know this sort of gold rush is happening particularly at a time when when media brands are thinking about how, how they can make money beyond advertising. And so what we're seeing is a lot of sports publishers, particularly digital sports publishers, are able to um, convert a lot of people in, into customers on behalf of these um, sports betting companies. At the same time, the sports betting companies are paying so much to acquire customers, they're building their own media properties you know, because it's a cheaper way for them to acquire customers. So to me, the big thing is it's a massive race for customer acquisition. So at the top of the funnel, you have people spending tons of money um, uh, on, you know, for broadcast ads, but like in the middle and bottom of the funnel, you have these sports properties that are um, becoming extremely valuable, way more valuable than when they were just reliant on normal advertising. Um, you look at a company like, like Barstool, you know, they're a sort of bro comedy, but sports, you know, um, little off putting for many people, but like they have very passionate fan base and, you know, they got bought by a gambling company and got rebranded, uh, which rebranded to Barstool because it's an efficient way for these companies to acquire customers. And it just shows that like content is incredibly valuable as a customer acquisition tool, whether right. that's a publisher selling, um, you know, things to their audience or whether that's just simply a, um, e-commerce company. A lot of these sports books are just basically e-commerce companies, um, building their own media. And am I right that, uh, John Skipper, who used to run ESPN 
and yeah. Dana Lepetard, who worked at ESPN, I think just down the road from you. Um, yeah. They got. They also took on a partnership with uh, a sports betting company, didn't they? In their new venture, Mediamark yeah. Media. Yeah, and and that's like we're seeing that across the board. I mean, there was um, there was uh, a a podcaster basically that does video and stuff like this, Pat McAfee, um, and he used to be in the NFL as like a kicker, right? And he he's he he has a giant deal now, you know. In just like a few years, he grew this this company, this media company, this podcast company. Um, and was able to strike a massive deal with a sports betting company. Now, the problem with a lot of these, um, a lot of gold rushes is that they end, right? right. I mean, that's why they say, <laughs> that's you know, why they're a rush, so, yeah. So people are getting, you know, getting while the getting is good, but like you see the 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 stock prices of of the publicly traded sports uh, betting companies, and you know they're not doing that great. Um, and the, you know, I think what's going to be a challenge is once you acquire these customers, it, it becomes a, a retention um, game. And, and I don't know if, if a lot of the companies that are benefiting from this gold rush are going to continue to benefit to the same degree. Yeah. Well, that's always the thing, isn't it? Kind of the classic, what goes up must come down, you know, in this country, um, there's a periodically been talk about, um, you know, legislation to restrict the amount of gambling sponsorship you can see both the teams and in the media environment, uh, yeah. which obviously would limit the money funneling through to the leagues and to the media companies. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, you're obviously in the U S a few stages behind that being an issue, but. Well, it's still lurking out there, honestly. I mean, I, I'm like personally, like, you know, fairly like what people sort of do what they want within reason. Um, but I mean, I sometimes wonder if 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 we're going too fast, honestly, with the gambling, um, because I mean, you see it, um, you see what's happening, what already happened with like you know the the meme stocks and stuff like this, yeah. and and there's a lot of of behavior right now that is throughout um, um, society that has really normalized this to a degree that I really think bad things can, can happen. We, we, we won't know we're going into it because like, there's a lot of money to be made and government, uh, sees a way to have uh, greater tax revenue without quote unquote, raising taxes. I mean, politicians always love, you know, at least what's called here, sin taxes, because yeah. they're viewed, yeah. they're viewed as like, you know, easy ones, no one's going to protest like taxing cigarettes, you know, but they're also incredibly regressive uh, forms of taxation. Um, the, the lottery has always been a giant scam here. Um, the, <laughs> the, go the government's run the lottery, and it preys on, um, you know, people in lower socioeconomic levels. I don't, I don't think, you know, the people with like four car garages are the ones who I see at the, the convenience store buying, buying lottery, um, lottery tickets. tickets. And but, so and I think that there are societal impacts that I think that we haven't really thought through. Yeah. And of course, if kids grow up, you know, again, you and I don't particularly want to get too puritanical on this, um, but you know, kids grow <laughs> me up. from my, me from Miami, like scolding people on their right. <laughs> morals is uh, probably a step yeah. too far, Charlotte. <laughs> um, but it, it's an interesting thing. You know, we have, we've had a thing here around alcohol sponsorships of, of, of sports in general and football. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, the team I support was sponsored by a beer company and oh. the replica shirts for 
you know, children's replica shirts couldn't have, uh, you know, the beer brand on them and things like that, you know, shirts. Yeah. Sold to, so there are obviously all these things, but do you think actually kind of this injection of cash to that media ecosystem is going to actually maybe drive some innovation, the kind of, you know, we've mentioned a couple of uh, people trying to, for want of a better phrase, cash in on this. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be others that follow? Um, I mean, probably, but I think what, you know, to me, like the big takeaway, and it's a very much a unique situation with massive market that has been, I mean, you could always bet like, you know, if you have like a local bookie or, you know, it got more sophisticated where you could have like a stand in in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, like there was always ways, but like, um, you know, I think a lot of times also these, these companies overestimate the size of the market. I mean, we've seen this with a lot of cannabis, uh, companies. Um, the legal market here has not been as big as people have, um, expected in places like California. And, and part of that is, you know, I think people probably, you know, who wanted to smoke pot already could, or excuse me, cannabis already could. Um, and you know, they like their dealers. It, uh, it, it wasn't the law that was changing, sort altering their behavior. Yeah, no. And like, you know, I mean, they, they were like, Oh, it's going to become like wine. Well, I, I think it is slightly different actually, because, and again, this is my experience in the UK. Yeah. Um, I think it is different in the sense that if it something like that becomes normalized and it's just your money. I mean, we've had issues here in the UK, I mean, decades ago with players becoming highly addicted to, you know, young men with lots of money and lots of time on their hand. There's some very famous examples of players becoming very addicted to gambling. Yeah. Well, I mean, a a player here, a very well-known player got um, suspended for, uh, NFL player for betting on, he was injured. He bet on games that he, he had nothing to do with, but he got suspended for a year. And then you have players who are, um, who, who have committed horrendous domestic violence abuses and they get suspended for less time, which sort of tells you a lot about how just money drives everything in, hmm. in, in sports. But I think one of the things that is also interesting is how, how much it has changed the actual coverage of sports. A lot yes, of the media yeah. has moved to, I, you never heard people never even mention gambling. Now, every podcast, everything is about, is, is about the line and like parlays and all this like very foreign language to at least people like me who do not gamble, but actually enjoy sports. Um, mm. So I think that's really a balance because I think they'll be, end up being turning off a, a large uh, group of the, of, of their audience because, you know, basically their business model are, is dictating that. Yeah. It's really interesting. Again, the comparison here, what you're describing to me sounds a bit like what we have is that, you know, there are sections on sports radio uh, sponsored by gambling companies where, you know, a representative from the gambling company will come on and get, describe the odds of a game or two, or yeah. obviously horse racing, the industry is entirely run around gambling which is you know that's a slightly different thing because gambling is just so central to that yeah i mean is there a point of horse racing outside of gambling arguably not no Um, (laughs) and so you know it that's a slightly different thing um but in terms of you know more conventional other types of sports you know that has definitely moved into the way that it's presented in quite a significant way and it'll be interesting you know i'd be interested to kind of have this conversation again with you in six months or a year and see actually you know 
not just the small companies that we've discussed and the kind of up and coming people who are, you know, fair play to them seeing a new revenue source and taking a swing at it, but um, actually the big players, you know, the ESPNs and so on, what flows into their pockets and how that affects their presentation of various sports. Yeah. And I mean, it's even more complicated for like an ESPN, which is owned by Disney. Right. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that. that, yeah, that's always been like a challenge for them. Um, you know, but the money is too great. So they're just going to sort of grit and get, get their way through it. Um, but I yeah. think it's also interesting in that it, it opens up because it's part of, like I was saying, like, you know, publishers can drive like sales of other things. Right. Mm. And so like, it's, it, you know, we're seeing publishing become like a very powerful content acquisition tool for, for companies. And I think that opens up just like a new way for, for publishers to make money, not in every area, but it opens up a new way for publishers to make money that isn't pure advertising. It's somewhere between advertising and e-commerce. And Oh no, are we going to have to do the advertorial debate again? No, I hope not. I hope like, not. Didn't we do that like five years ago or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you see people like you know the the a lot of forms of content outside of news can be used to to you know drive people to make um, to make purchases of services um, or or physical goods, and that's become a meaningful part of many publishers' revenue portfolio. Um, and I think that's a positive thing because it gives them more control over their businesses. Right, right, right. Um, is it? I mean, it was these kind of things you obviously uh, covered in depth over at DigiDay. Yeah. How, not to kind of go full, this is your life, but how has it kind <laughs> of, not just like the advertising market in general, we've seen so many big developments in the last few years. I'm thinking about Apple's ad tracking transparency, for example, and, yeah. you know, we don't even need to do the whole pivot to video thing and whatever else. So many of these changes have driven how publishers present their content. Um, I mean, do you, is this particular thing going to, you know, the introduction of sports camera going to be a key marker like some of those things? Or do you think things like app tracking transparency, you know, Apple's way of and third party cookie changes and all those kind of things, are they, do you think are more profound for, um, publishers than something like there's new people you can get ad revenue from and sponsorship revenue from. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to, I always have, I always hated that it depends, but like, you know, the publishing market is so varied and and different and, and mm. that like, it's hard to make, you know, blanket um, statements on that. But look, I think it's very clear that ad targeting is about to get a lot more expensive, right? Like, and it's going to get a lot harder and the pendulum is swinging back to the side of those who are creating content. You're seeing this across many different areas. Does that mean I look, there's a lot of people who are crying about like the cookies and the targeting and stuff like this. Honestly, most of them like rely on, on Google and Facebook for fly by night traffic. Um, those who have, who have, direct relationships with their audiences are going to thrive in this new era in which it's not all about see a cookie, hit a cookie, because that era prioritized data, granular user data to a point where, you know, publishers in many cases just became empty vessels for cookies 
you know, and that, that is, that is a path to commoditization of their audience. And, um, I know there are a lot of issues and there's going to be a lot of people who, um, are hurt by these changes, but overall, if you have a very strong connection to your audience, there are a ton of different ways that you can build sustainable media businesses these days. And I, I think in the long run, ad targeting becoming more expensive, um, and, definitely less granular is going to absolutely benefit those who are creating quality content and have quality audiences. Which is a nice pivot to kind of quickly talk about what you're doing over at the rebooting, which is yes. to build a, you know, a new media company. You're using Substack as your <laughs> platform, um, as I am. And what you're doing is quite interesting. And I've not seen many people do it on Substack, which is your, I mean, typically on brand for you, you're selling ads. I on am. your Substack, as opposed to selling subscriptions, I'm an ad salesman. How's that, that, how's that career change going? For you? I, yeah, I have a gong downstairs. I ring the gong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love selling ads. Anyone who wants to, to, to talk to me, I love it. Listen, um, if you're a sports betting company, here's Brian's number. Yeah, whatever we could do. It. No, I, I, you know. When I left Digiday, like, you know, I saw a lot of the trends. This is October, 2020. I wasn't mm. sure what I wanted to do, but like, I knew that like, you know, newsletters and podcasts or what I call like personal engagement media, they're more personal. Like I, you know, I love getting like notes from people and, um, and I get like a lot of them and it starts like a conversation with them. And like, as someone who has written for, you know, a couple decades, um, it's, it's really great, you know, getting feedback from people, not in the comments section where people are calling each other names and whatnot, but like, it's really good. And I think that w the reason that newsletters and podcasts are, are so um, valuable is that they're personal, right? Like you get an email and it's in a communications medium and that simply just changes the relationship of the content. It's why I don't understand why any publisher is still treating their email newsletters like an RSS feed for headlines mm. and interrupted just by some, some programmatic uh, display ads. Because think about the emails that you get that you want to read. They don't look like web pages. They're from people. And, mm. and, and they read like, you know, messages from people. And, and that I think just changes the relationship. And so what I want to do is, is build like the essential resource for anyone who's building a sustainable media company um, with the, the lens that like, I've covered this for a long time, but I also like, you know, as, as, as president, like I had, I had roles that were about building the business. So like, yeah. yeah. So I have a little bit of one, one foot in both camps, but then also on the same side, this is super meta, right. Is like, I'm also doing it myself so, with the rebooting. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like, it's all very, I mean, and, and that, it, it definitely proves to me that we're in a simulation. We're in a sim. Yeah, sure. Right. No, I think, I think it's hard to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's hard to disagree with. Um, uh, another really exciting media company, one that I'm a subscriber and fan of that you're involved in, I believe is Puck. Over yes. In the U S which I really, really like, um, has some great writers over there. Yeah. Um, 
just what's your brief yeah. involvement with them? Explain Puck to listeners who may not yet have heard of it. And they're taking a slightly different model to what you're describing. Yeah. Although I think it builds on some of the same themes, actually. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I put this like I, I say that there's a continuum between like individuals and institutions. And what we're seeing is like the shift from institutions to individuals across the board. Um, people have lost faith in a lot of institutions, obviously. Um, and Publishing brands are no different. Uh, we won't go into all the, the, the reasons, no. but um, I think Substack is part of the unbundling of publishing. And it, it's all the way to the other end of the, the spectrum of the mm -hmm. continuum, if you will, uh, to the individual. And you're a one-person media company. What Substack did was amazing is that like in an afternoon, you can start a media company. It's hard. It is really hard. Um, but you can do it. It exists. You can it's do real. it. And um, that's amazing. But I think, you know, institutional brands have a tremendous amount of um, advantages. And I think what's interesting about Puck, and there's some other um, examples, is that they're finding that middle way along that continuum between individuals and institutions. So Puck is, is a brand, but they put at the forefront all of their... Um, their writers who are who are partners in this in this venture, so they have ownership stakes in Puck, and I think it just changes because and also big profiles in and of themselves, the writers. Yeah, because like, like Bar people Baraton de Thurston, people knew that name, irrespective of whether he was writing for yeah. Puck or on his own newsletter or whatever else. Yeah, it's a collection of like of high profile writers who have following, so on and so forth. Yeah, and so in that way, it's like sort of a bit of a symbiotic relationship in that like they confer their authority and their reach um, to Puck and then vice versa. Puck gives them like a halo as a collection because like it's like, you know, I license um, content to Puck and like the reason I do it is, you know, I get a little bit of money from it, but it's like it's mostly because you know, you are like the company. It's like my mom used to say, like, it's like, you're the company you keep like, mm. right. And like, you know, she didn't um, like one of my friends. So I like being, I like being with like, you know, I hope Baratoni considers us friends. Um, yeah. Maybe not, but whatever. I like being uh, next to them. Yeah. yeah it, it works for you. And if it doesn't work for him, <laughs> that's fine. Um, um, you won't no, tell that's, anyone. No, it's funny. No, sorry, no one can hear you. Bharatundi, why are you returning my emails? Yeah, brutal. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's it's. A, I really like it just because of the kind of it plays on a lot of things that I'm interested yeah. in. Over at the addition of kind of the power centers of politics of media uh, and so yeah. on. And I think getting that like mix is really right. Yeah. Is like. You know, because like Substack, it's like it's all just individuals, right? And like you know, on the other in, in side, in almost all cases, there's a few places that have yeah, got yeah there's a few. Writers. But um, but I think it mostly stands for like the ind the ind yeah, the true sure. independent writer, right? For sure. And you know, there's a lot of advantages that publishing brands bring. You know, beyond the brand halo and stuff like this, there's just you know, if you're doing anything solo, it's impossible to do everything. It's impossible. I've been doing this now for a year. I, there are so many areas that I suck at that, like, I realize that, like, I'm also getting better, but at the same time, like, I'm never going to be very good at um, some of the, like, organizational things and stuff like this. And it's holding, there's, there's a it's holding me back. specialize in stuff. Yeah. And, like, so I, I've reached this sort of, you know, point where I recognize that, um, I need to like build this into something, you know, uh, 
bigger than just a one person um, venture. There's a lot of advantages to having one person. You know, first of all, it's just like you need you need to generate less revenue if it's just split one way. Yeah, and you don't <laughs> have to answer to anyone. Yeah, exactly. Although you know, there's advantages to that. You know, I yeah, think yeah. self accountability is is really um, it's challenging yeah. for for lots of people. Uh, having an edge to tell you no is sometimes yeah. I get people writing. I just got I left a TK in. Um, in in my last newsletter i had someone write in to to correct me and oh, no. i told him that i like it was it was a way to try to like you know make it seem authentic and but i we just know the truth we i just know the left truth, it Brian. in i left it um in. well it's been it's been really fun talking to you so tell people Thank exactly you. where they can uh get all your pot yeah stuff, your so i have I, yeah i have like a newsletter and a podcast um so uh the rebooting is uh just the rebooting uh dot substack dot com um and if you search for the rebooting show on apple or spotify um you can uh subscribe or just listen to few episodes of my podcast to discuss with, you know, people building, um, sustainable media businesses, just how they're going about it. Um, so I always enjoy hearing from people. So shoot me a note. And where can people find you on Twitter as well? Oh, just B Morrissey. There we go. So that's where you can send him the nice comments in the emails, abuse over B Morrissey on Twitter. Um, yeah. I'm at Charlotte Henry on Twitter no abuse thank you so much um, and obviously <laughs> you can get the newsletter over at the edition.substack.com and the podcast well if you're listening to it you probably know where you can get it but it's wherever yeah. you can get any of your shows thank you so much for joining me brian thank you so much for joining me and i'll see you all next week mm -hmm.